Morena. When I was um, when I was young, I was a scout. Anybody else a scout or a cub? Yep. I even had that weird thing. I started being a cub in Australia, where we did that. No, no, we did that. That's how you saluted, which gave opportunities for people to be rude. But um, <laughs> I came to New Zealand, and some smart person had made it three fingers in New Zealand, hadn't they? That was the deal here. Yep. Um, and I was just remembering. I um, Blue Skies is a, a camp. Who's, who's been to Blue Skies as a camp? Yep. I remember going um, to Blue Skies from. Um, I was. I lived on the Port Hills, so I was part of Naitahu, not the tribe, but the. Um, the, uh, I think that was the name of the, the troop, and we went to this Blue Skies camping thing, and I was absolutely astonished, because we'd grown up thinking camping, well, that's, you're going to take all the stuff in the car somewhere, so you want to take the minimum with you. So we had tents and just the minimum to live on, and then there were these other camping troops who had trailers and trailers of gear. There were people there with these big flagpoles, and, and literally people had brought the kitchen sink. Uh, and, I, I was kind of, and then um, I, I have this vivid memory because we had, as you can imagine, a pretty minimal campsite, and somebody walked around and did these camp inspections. And they spent ages inspecting all these really ornate camp setups, and then they came to ours and went, oh yeah. And moved on. And we were kind of like, oh my goodness. And, and um, we didn't, um, they had a scoring system. We didn't score at all highly in that animal. I'll just move this. Um, uh, and at the very end, um, one of the guys came up to me and when we were packing up and said, Is this all you bought? Now, I tell you the story because um, we're doing a series called On the Road in Jesus, with Jesus. We're doing it because as a church, we're about to be moving. And when you move, you have to decide how much stuff you take with you. And actually, generally, you've got to decide what is central, what is core, what must I take, and what was a lovely thing to take, but you know, I probably don't need to take it on this trip. Because the lighter you travel, the easier you travel. And last week, we started by reading from Luke 4, 18, 19, and, and around that, where Jesus gets up, quotes, uh, um, tells people about what he's going to do, and then says, pretty much, you guys are all going to say, yeah, right about this. This is you know, the, the physician line. And we're going to carry on from there. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone or something that you'd read a Bible on, um, we want you in Luke chapter 4 at verse 31. But first, when we get together, we're moving out, it's help, we bring with us the stuff that happened in our week. And it's been a pretty busy week. This coming week, our craft group, which has 100 so people and has been meeting here for uh, quite a while now, um, is going to be meeting in the local sports club. Uh, Mover Groove is moving next week, I think, um, at, which means it's been a bit crazy here, trying to figure out how do we get things to work, um, which means, and then we're gearing up for a garage sale, and the building team have been doing wonders, so um, they've been working on tender documents, so we know the consents uh, are in and they're, uh, they're processing. And in, in the process, oh, and I've had people doing work. Um, John Dunlop and John uh, David Martin have done some work out in the, um, in the garage. Thanks, guys. And uh, um, Ross has been putting together sound gear for out there, and uh, it, it's all been pretty crazy. And in that process, a number of people had conversations with me about what, what's the core job you want done? What's the core job? So when Jesus got up and spoke from Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, he was des describing his core job. The, the thing. And he talks about freedom for captives, those being oppressed and declaring the year 
of the Lord's favour, which I'm going to put the word grace in there. It's my insertion, but I, I read that into the favour. And it, it's really easy to lose that sense of favour. Really easy. Now, if the technology works, here's a little video clip of a guy who was going down the road and he looked over and he saw his bike that had been stolen. See how he does for favour and grace. Riding that bike out there? Yeah. Where'd you get it? Stolen from my house. And he stole it from my house two weeks ago. I'm calling the police right oh, now, brother. Can I take, sorry, sorry dude. Can I take down your number then? I don't want to cause you not to get to work. My bike got stolen. Right when we the second time it's got stolen. I know it's my bike, I built it. Have witnesses, have the serial number at home. So I'm willing to take down your number, Bob, so you can get to work, but I need my bike back. So I don't want to take it right now if you really are using it for work, but. How's that going to get me to work? I'm not going to take it now, but I want your number so I can get it eventually when we can arrange a bike for you. I know, but I'm saying I'll let you, I, since I know it's for work, I will, I'm willing to let you continue to borrow it as long as we keep in touch and then we'll, we'll find you a bike. Now, you may not have heard any of that because the audio was rough. He's cross. He goes into the bike shop and said, that's my bike you're riding. I'm going to call the police. So he starts where we all start, being really hacked off. And he, and he has this conversation with the guy who said, oh, I bought it for 10 bucks so I could ride it to work. And somewhere in there, he hears the... I need this bike to get to work. And he goes, oh. You can see him kind of do this double take. A little bit after that, he's apologizing to the shop owner for how he spoke. If you, you didn't hear how he spoke, um, that was Birdsong inserted over the top of some of that. Um, he, he goes, says to the guy, look, can I get your details? I'm building a bike at home, and I'll give you that bike so that you can get to work. And you can borrow this until you can so that you can get to work. So he starts angry and wound up in his stuff, is interrupted in his life, and just hears enough that he starts to think about compassion. Yep. You may have missed that. I got it uh, from it. That's, there's a little bit of that in the passages we're going to read, but before then, a little bit of background information, because we have a bit of a problem. In our world, when we think about medicine, we think about pills. Not necessarily these pills, but pills. Things external to us, technology that is going to solve our problems. We expect that we will get better. We think if your kidney is failing, your kidneys are failing, then we can just have an operation, put in someone else's kidneys and keep it going, and we forget the fact that there's going to be lifelong treatments of anti-rejection drugs and complications and all that kind of stuff. And we assume that if you have an operation, well, you will come out alive and well and better. We think particularly when we're young, that um, Western medicine will fix everything. It's kind of the modern-day magic. We have a pill for it, and um, there is a, a line that talks about you can tell people's age by how much they rattle, which is the, by the number of pills they carry. Um, I've joined that brigade because it turns out the, uh, um, there isn't a quick fix for my hip, so um, Panadol is my friend. But that's very different, this way of thinking, to the world that Jesus lives in. Very, very different. In, there were very few pills 
if you had an operation, you would probably die. Okay, that were the odds. In fact, if you were a woman over 40 and you got pregnant, you expected you would die when you gave birth. That was normal. In fact, the remarriage rates, I read this 10 years ago, the remarriage rates in America were identical to the remarriage rates uh, 200 years earlier. It's just that 200 years earlier, women died. Kind of a shocker, really. So if you were sick, well, we, there were doctors, but very, not really like ours. Um, there was a, a Roman uh, demigod and a bunch of temples to, I can't say it, Esclepius, I think. And you would go there to see people to see what they would do. And um, the lines between science and myth and, uh, are really thin. Um, what kind of prescriptions do you... Oh, so there's some of the instruments that were used back in those days. What kind of prescriptions do you get when you go to the doctor? Well, normally you expect to get some pills. Um, here's a, a genuine prescription. Um, this person was asked, first of all, to go and bathe in an icy cold river where there was the most churning of the waters. Yep. And while he was there, he was to pour mud over himself. Yep. And then after that, he was to walk into the temple courtyard and sit in the temple courtyard and wait. And then he was to walk barefoot all the way through winter. Right. And lastly, the thing that he was to do regularly was they, they were in this thing of letting blood, cutting and taking blood out, because too much blood was seen as a problem for you. That was his prescription. Anybody keen to go to that doctor? And what are your chances of getting better, do you think? You're not so flash. And in that world, remember, it's not so scientific. It's, there's a lot of stories and myths and ideas floating around. They also had a strong belief in spirits, and um, they saw gods and demigods and spirits and angels as kind of being part of everyday life, which is really foreign for Westerners. Now, Asian, um, Asian Christians aren't embarrassed to talk about this stuff. They, um, but Westerners are often a bit embarrassed, and um, largely, I think, because when you talk about spirits and demons and things, we, uh, our minds are fed by Hollywood. We're fed by the exorcist and poltergeist and movie after movie that create these images that have got, you know, actually pretty much no connection with the biblical story. Here is, however, a first century description from a pagan site of how to do an exorcism. You take the oil from unripe olives together with the plant of mastica and lotus piss and boil it with marjoram. And then a you say a series of things and you write this on a little sheet of copper uh, tin which you hang around the sufferer and when you're telling the demon to come out, you make sure that you're blowing down so that the breath bounces back up towards you. Um, anybody keen on this? Yeah, me neither. It's the same as the prescription. It's just this, all this kind of rigmarole to try and do things because... They're not living in the same world as us. Frustratingly for Westerners, the Bible doesn't tell us a massive amount about spirits and demons. Okay? It, they get mentioned in passing. It's much more interested in us. And people will put together these, uh, a bunch of verses to try and say, here's what's going on. It doesn't seem to be the thrust. The Bible is very interested in Jesus and wants us to focus on that. So, in these passages... These things are going to come up. The mindset of people is different to ours, and it's going to raise some questions for you, which we'll mention but may not answer, because their world was fuzzy and unclear. Um, things were, it was dangerous. Help people died of common colds. Operations nine times out of ten would kill someone. They saw spirits everywhere. It was incredibly blurry. 
Westerners, we don't think like that. We're much more matter-of-fact, much more science-related. We deal with it differently. Okay, if you've got a Bible, Luke chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Jesus has, just before this, Jesus has read out from the, uh, from the scroll of Isaiah, declared what he's on about, really got people angry. So remember, there's a crowd, and he walks through the crowd, and Luke's now going to tell us how he lives. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people, and they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Now, teachers here know something about this. What's it like when a teacher doesn't have authority? Actually, students know this too. I was told one teacher said, um, rule of thumb, don't smile until Easter. If you don't, that, that means the start of the year, you've kind of got, you're getting your authority in place and you can relax a bit after Easter because you've kind of shaped them. And can you remember that? Remember when you're in the class and the teacher goes outside Yep, and all of a sudden people are talking and throwing bits of paper and the teacher comes back out inside and says in their teacher voice, settle down, and everyone does, remember that? That's authority, that's clout. That's the guy who came into the bike shop and said, that's my bike, full of confidence and authority. And this is what they notice about Jesus. His teaching is, um, the message translation says, his teaching was so forthright, so confident, so authoritative. Not the quibbling and quoting they were used to. First thing they note, pay attention to that clout thing, because I think that's what this is about. Okay. Verse 33, in the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, a couple of things to note. This is a bit odd. Is the synagogue where you would expect to see an impure spirit? Oh, it's the place you wouldn't expect to see an impure spirit. I mean, you might at some other temple, but this is the Jewish synagogue. This should be the place of purity, right? So already there's a bit of rattling of the cage going here. Secondly, a lot of the spirits that Jesus encounters instantly name him. And in the Gospels, there's this thing about, have people figured out who he is? But the, the, immediately they name him as the Holy One of God. And thirdly, remember the rigmarole for exorcism for a pagan? What do you need? Unripe olive oil, uh, marjoram. Sounds like a bit, um, baking recipe, doesn't it? Whole bunch of things. So what's, what do you think Jesus is going to do before you read the next verse? What would you do if it happened in church? Right, are we going to get everyone together, pray around this person, uh, spend the next half hour doing that? Are we going to shuffle people, shuffle whoever is out the door? We're going to be asking questions like, hang on, is this spiritual or is this someone with a mental disorder? You know, what are we going to, you know? What Jesus does is, I think, use his teacher voice. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. No rigmarole. No long, complicated formulas. No marjoram. Just pretty simple. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words are these? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Now, 
we ask lots of questions about spirits, but what Luke really wants to tell us here is Jesus just has this confident clout. It's going to be like this. Settle down, clear off. Very clear. I um, had a friend who used to work with street kids, and he took them on this camp, and they're you know, doing things you do in these camps. Camping seems to be a theme. And there's this old kind of um, spooky-looking abandoned building off to the side, and he comes one evening, and they're all a bit freaked about this, and they've kind of talked themselves into a state. There are all these ghosts and spirits out there, and they're talking it up and talking it up. And my mate sits him down, and he says, well, look, the thing about Jesus is Jesus has all authority. You've got to understand this is Lord. Lord, there's no other Lord. That's it, really. And he said, he took a breath, and, and he said, and what Jesus would do is tell these things to get out. And he said, he, I looked up, and the next minute, there were kind of 20 street kids running flat tack towards this house, um, telling, in more colorful this, <laughs> language than this, um, telling whatever there was to um, clear off. You could think of another word for that. <laughs> With all the kind of earthy enthusiasm, they got the point of the authority, the clout of Jesus. Yep. Not, we're up for a half an hour of struggle here, just a pretty clear cut, that's what I say, that's what happens. And again, you can see the people reflecting, with what authority is this? Okay, story number one, clout, confidence. Story number two, compassion. Jesus left the synagogue, went, went to the home of Simon, here's that hospitality playing out, and Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. Did she have to go and bathe in a river, sit into the temple day, walk barefoot all winter? Again, this is really clear-cut. It's a simple response. There's no rigmarole, no pills. And the other thing is, both of these, I think they're interruptions. He didn't go to the synagogue to cast out a spirit. He went to the synagogue because he was in the practice of teaching. He didn't, I think, went, go to Simon's house um, to heal someone. He went probably to have a, uh, a meal and have a sleep. These are interruptions, but in this you see Jesus showing compassion. This is the bike owner saying, oh, you need the bike for work. Tell you what, give me your details. It gets bigger. At sunset, the word is spread. People brought, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of illness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Laying his hands is interesting because if you touch someone who is ill, what are you risking? And in that context, if you touch someone who's unclean, you become unclean. So there's a little bit of uneasiness in the, the background of breaching safety rules here. But he heals them all. And then we're back to the authority thing for a moment. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, and he rebuked them, would not allow them to speak because he knew he was, they knew he was the Messiah. Back to that clout again. So what we've seen so far is confidence and authority and compassion. Then he goes off to try and find a place to be just him with God, and people find him and say, you need to settle down here. It's time to set up a hospital. 
it's time for you to create this wonderful healing center. And he says, oh, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. Step back a little bit. Why was he sent? To set the oppressed free. What happened to the man who was oppressed by a, a spirit? Why was he sent? To proclaim the good news, the year of the Lord's favor. And he, here he's saying, look, I've been called to do this. So these stories link majorly with what Jesus said he was going to do. We've seen clout, compassion, and a sense of being called. And there's one more story, which I'll tell but not read, but it's um, Luke chapter 5 at the start, 1 to 11. And many of you will have heard it. Jesus is by the side of the lake. The crowds are everywhere, and there's a couple of boats. And the fishermen are mending their nets. And so Jesus asked this guy, Simon, to put the boat out so he can stand on the boat and talk to the crowd because it's like creating a speaker like this to stand on. And you'd think, actually, this is the Son of God. You could have chosen to go to an amphitheater, to go to a place that's like this, but he kind of makes do. He uses what's at hand, cobbles a solution, which is what you do when you're on the road, because you don't have everything. If you don't have a kitchen sink, you try and figure out where you're going to wash your dishes. And he gets the fishermen involved, and then afterwards takes them fishing and when they, they get a huge boatload of fish, and Simon falls to his knees, confesses that he is a sinner, and Jesus tells him, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So he's not just making do, he's making disciples. Okay, that's what we've seen. What have we seen? We've seen that there's clout and compassion. There's a sense of being called, that he makes do. It's not all laid out on a platter, and he makes disciples. So what does that mean for us? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that I think that guarantee a number of these things in Jesus' life are interruptions. It wasn't on his agenda. And I don't know about you, but how do you do when you're interrupted? It's a really good test to see how full of ourselves we are. Uh, and I'm not feeling smug about this, because I'm not. It's a really good test to say how overfull we've made, made our lives. We have an interruption. How do we respond? I respond uneasily here because I want to be marked by compassion. And I don't always do that. One of the conclusions for me is I need to be really careful about how much I heap on. Because if I put too much on, I end up not being compassionate. I think the question of clout or confidence sits round in my head. I don't think we have the confidence, Christians today don't have the confidence that we had 20 years ago. That's not always a bad thing. Sometimes we were really arrogant, brash. I think there's a different kind of confidence, that sense that the Holy One of God is with you. Last week I told you a story and afterwards realized I missed the complete point. How dumb is this? I told you the story of going to um, this, these, uh, this guy racking up ho um, hospital bills and how we'd got called in and dragged a pastor in with us and at the end of meeting with him he said, oh, yep, this is a problem, a problem for the church and Colin and Linda, you're the church and I don't know what you're going to do. 
and how I was kind of, oh, uh, yeah, thanks. Um, I've often reflected on that because, because it was left with us, Linda and I had to pray and get our life group together and pray. And then, yes, we talked to people and rang people and dug into our pockets and we found a way forward that cost us. But who grew out of that? We grew out of that. He was right. We were the church. I'm really grateful because I often reflected back and thought if he'd just taken over and said, right, my responsibility, he would have grown because it would have stretched his faith. Even when you do not have answers, the Holy One of God, <coughs> the Spirit of the Holy One of God is with you. I think there's place for that confidence. I struggle a bit when we read passages about demons. Genuinely, I, um, I've worked with um, a whole bunch of recovering addicts, and oh, can you tell? I had someone, someone I worked with, I could not figure out if he was mentally deranged, possessed by some evil spirit, or just a very, very, very nasty, manipulative person. To this day, I don't know. It could be all three. Luke isn't out to tell us these things. We have questions he doesn't really want to answer. If you want to get a picture of this, do you remember when you first went to learn to ride a bike? For some of us, that's a while ago. Um, and you don't know what to do, and you're unstable, and maybe you have training wheels or mum or dad holding the back of the bike, and so you're wobbling all over the place. If you can imagine yourself there, and you look up for a moment, and there's Jesus going past going, look, no hands. That's what these stories show you, is this kind of sense of, no, 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 this isn't a big deal. This isn't hard. This isn't long, complicated formulas. It's, it's not about Easter eggs, the insider secret knowledge that will get you to the next bit. It's about a saviour who has clout. It's not a formula. There isn't rigmarole. Kindness and compassion. I actually think the church, we, are a lot better than this, at this than we think. Um, our problem is that it doesn't get broadcast really well. Kindness and compassion doesn't make the front pages of the paper or the six o'clock news, and you don't really see it on Facebook. It, it's not like that. Kindness and compassion happens one-on-one -on -one in small groups. Um, I think the church is marked by it. I think that moment when the bike owner says, oh, you need that bike to get to work. It's my bike. How about I loan it to you and I'll get you a different bike? That moment when he's willing to put down his agendas, step aside from, yes, there is a social injustice that you should be angry about, but marrying it with compassion, here's a way forward. Uh, actually, my observation of most followers of Jesus, that's what they're trying to do. I think that's what we're trying to do. And making do and making disciples, well, I actually think that's church at its best. Never all pinned down. It's lovely having comfy chairs and great setups. And isn't the heater good? Oh, this is good stuff. We don't need it. It's really nice. We don't, it's not absolutely central. 
to our core business. Um, there will be heaters at the next hall. The craft group, there's a bit of laughter because there will be savouries. <laughs> Church is often the act of making do. This is what I have at hand. Uh, we kind of want it to be God provide, but often we have it our, around us. Church is often, our lives are often making do. So what does this mean for us? Well, I wanted to invite you to think about this week, just a few questions. This week, when have you been interrupted? And have you dealt with that? It's not been a good week for me. I've spent more time on the phone to a telecom provider than I like. I've had crammed in a bit too much. How are you doing on the interruptions? Second question for you. This week, in those interruptions, have you been on compassion? Third question for us. What kind of confidence are we called to? In a few moments, we're going to move to have um, soup and bread together to have conversations. I'd like to pray for us. I'd like you to be thinking about your life, about the week you've just had and the week you're going into. I'd like you to be thinking about how Jesus is so matter-of-fact in these things that would just completely disrupt our world. Thinking about the fact that he has a kind of confidence it'll work through. Let's pray. Our loving Saviour, we'd really like to arrange and plan our lives to work the way we want. But we get interrupted. You bring people and things into our life. And we are not always grateful. We do not always respond as you would. Give us confidence in your love and your spirit with us. Confidence that you will not put us in places we cannot find our way out of. Strip back the extras, the formulas, the shortcuts from us so we are leaning on you. As people intrude into our lives, give us your spirit of compassion. Make us quick to pray with someone. Forgive me, forgive us for when we're just too scared or don't want to or we're tired of the prayers that haven't been answered. Make our compassion larger than that. And you have given us things around that will help us make do. May we spot them, use them. May our lives be full of conversations of meaning so that we disciple each other. 
so we disciple others. So that you build your kingdom amongst us and beyond us into this world. Amen. So you have a chance to chat with that and sit those in the back of your head. We're going to do this benediction thing. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'd love for you to have the opportunity to. If you're feeling vulnerable, pick who you want to talk with. Pick someone gentle. It's okay. And one of the mistakes we have made is to think that we have to have all the answers. Um, so I'm going to read it in Maori. And then uh, feel free to join in. Um, and then uh, we'll read it in English. Join in to whichever ones you like. Kia tau, kia tato katoa. Te atafai o te tato, I blew it. Uh, let me try that again. Kia tau, kia tato katoa. Te atafai o to tato ariki o ihu karaiti. Me te aroa o te atua, me te fifi na tahitanga, ki te wairua tapu, aki, 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 amene. And in English. To all of us here, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. Soup, coffee, conversation, the second half of the service.